Hey friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I cannot wait to introduce uh, today's um, guest to you. We met at a conference a couple weeks ago by the time you hear this. And um, I was just super excited. She's got a podcast you're going to want to listen to. I guarantee you that. She's written a ton of books, and so she'll tell us about those. And um, and so I just, without further ado, I guess, let's introduce her, Mary DeMuth. Mary, welcome to Halfway There. I am so excited to be on Halfway There. Thank you so much. And um, I knew we were going to be friends the moment we kind of like interacted on Facebook before the event. So yeah, uh, I was not disappointed when I met you face to face, and we had some good conversations. Absolutely. You know that. Uh, so it was a it was a great event that we were at, and I'm I'm just still really impressed by the the whole kind of operation. But it was really nice to know that there was somebody else kind of in on the panel with with me in the in the icons that were. It was actually kind of on the same page about being upfront about your faith and, and having that be part of part of your message. Yeah, I was surprised at how many people who did not share my faith, who came up to me afterwards or during even and said, you know, I don't agree with anything that you have to say, but I really appreciate that you stand up for what you believe in, which I found was really fascinating. I just didn't expect that. So that was kind of cool. It led to some really great conversations yeah. too, and really not hostile at all, just joyful. Yeah, you know that for me was one of the things I took away from from the event that we sometimes hear. I've heard people say, "Oh, people who don't explicitly follow Jesus are selfish, or they're not," you mm-hmm. know. And I didn't necessarily believe those things, having worked in the in the secular world in a in a corporate position for a, a long time. But just finding out how spiritual people were, you know, there were a lot of people there that were just very spiritually minded, even if they weren't Jesus followers necessarily. Which right. says to me, oh. You know, as a human being, you're spiritual, whether you're, you know, found Jesus yet or not. Exactly, and I think we all have that longing for this dimension beyond ourselves to to know that we matter and that we have a voice in the world. Yeah. All right. Well, we're diving right into the deep end, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> so t- tell us a little bit about kind of who you are. I gave kind of the real high brief overview. You've got that podcast, Pray Every Day, which is super cool. Friends, you got to listen to this. Tell us a little bit about that, first of all. Yeah, so that is based on a book I wrote called Jesus Every Day, where I pray you through scripture for a whole year, released last year. And so my mastermind group said, well, you should just put that into practice and actually pray every day for people. So that's the podcast. I pray for you every single day based on a scripture, typically like a long long term. So we might, we've gone through the book of James, we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we've gone through Psalm 119. Right now we're actually tackling verses from The Seven Deadly Friendships, my latest book. Mm. And I am just so excited to spend five, about five minutes every day praying for my listeners based on scripture. I think it's a it's something we don't do very often and we don't talk about about praying according to something we've just read, which I think is fascinating and fun. Yeah. So how did you discover that as a practice? Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's a really good question. I had a friend of mine several years ago that was really kind of into praying scripture, and I hadn't heard of it before and just started practicing it kind of casually in my life. And there was just something really powerful about it that just kind of took hold of my heart. Yeah. Well, you do a great job of just do you know, looking at the verse and then, like you said, praying it over people. And uh, I found it through school and going to different, you know, 
don't know how to say that different traditions even, you know, like, sure. so, um, and it was, it was really life giving to find a way to kind of bring the scripture to life inside of your heart, you know? And that's a lot of like ecumenical type prayers that have been written down, you know, yeah. those, you know, those beautiful prayers that have been written down for years and years. I think those are all based, it's kind of the same idea. They're all based on scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which I think is really powerful and it's a way to put scripture in within your life. So anyway, I see you doing that and I love it. I think it's really cool. So friends, I want you to go out, get out your podcast app. You're probably listening <laughs> to us right now on it anyway, and look up uh, married Muth or pray every day. That's a good, it's a good one. Um, okay. So tell us about you. So you, um, so you're an author. We, we mentioned that you have, you have this, the book, uh, seven deadly friendships coming out. I want to get to that here in a little bit, but uh, tell us a little more about you. Yeah, so um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I met Jesus when I was 15 years old. I had a pretty difficult story, a a long-term rape at five for a whole year of some neighborhood boys, lots of drugs in the home, a lot of um, brokenness, chaos, pain, lots of divorces, lots of abandonment, death of a parent. So like everything that could go wrong basically went wrong. And I battled all those suicidal thoughts in seventh and eighth grade and then met Jesus in the 10th grade through Young Life. And, you know, I would love to be able to say, and then I met Jesus and everything was perfect. But um, that began (laughs) my uh, healing journey. And so I have been on a really long healing journey of healing of some of those things I just shared about. And uh, it's been pretty pretty amazing and pretty crazy. And um, I'm so grateful for for all of that, that the Lord has done in my life, but it has, you know, it's got, it's had its bumps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. So take us into that finding Jesus. T- tell us that story. Yeah. So I, um, I didn't really know anything about Jesus. So when I was about sixth or seventh grade, my grandmother decided that I needed to be baptized, but she never went to church. And so I, mm got randomly baptized. (laughs) Uh, And I didn't know anything about it other than I had to go to Sunday school once and we built uh, Jericho with cardboard bricks and kicked it over, which I think is beside the point because the (laughs) Lord kicked it over. But but I had this this yearning of going back to Sunday school, begged my mom, can I please go back to Sunday school? And she's like, no. And so I didn't, that was kind of my vague recollection other than my uncle said, well, aren't you glad you're not going to hell now? And I was like, well, I don't know what hell is but it sounds terrible. So yeah, I'm really glad. And other than that, swear words was all I knew about God. Like he was only associated with swearing and I didn't know that Jesus was connected to Christmas or Easter. I mean, I really knew nothing. And when I was in the ninth grade, I had a friend that invited me to Young Life, which is a ministry to high school kids. And um, that's when I started hearing about Jesus. The last 10 minutes of all the craziness was they would talk about Jesus. And by the end of the year, one of the sermons that was said was about Jesus calming the waves and the question the disciples asked, which was, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And that question just kind of stayed in my mind for that whole summer. And by the time I was a sophomore, I went to a weekend camp where I heard the whole gospel and basically just I I came to Christ out of a need for a dad. I'd had several at the time. One was my biological father was dead and 
couple divorces have just made me a fatherless girl. And I said, would you just be the daddy who would never leave me? And that's when the journey began. Wow. That's powerful. What what a powerful question. (laughs) Yeah. Who is this that the wind and seas obey him? I mean, isn't that just an amazing, I love, that's why I love questions. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Okay. So you found in, in God, a father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay. So take us, so how did you, how did you grow? Cause that's a lot to recover from. So you said this journey <laughs> is, is a long journey. And that's so like, what was that like early in, in your early years? How did you start to discover that God is loving towards you? Yeah. Immediately in that moment, I knew that he loved me. And I think the Lord used the bent that he made me to be the avenue of healing. And what I mean by that is that I have always been a storyteller. I've always been kind of a writer and I've always been one to share about, you know, what I've told stories for a long time and real stories and unreal stories and all of that. And so I began in high school to share my story and then became in earnest doing that in college to Christians who actually believe that Jesus could heal my story. And that's when the lion's share of the healing happened was I started to saying, these terrible things happened to me. I'm broken. I don't know what to do. And people just like laid hands on me and prayed for me for four years. And a lot of the healing happened then. Yeah. You know what I love about that is that um, I think it's easy to believe that it's not possible to, mm-hmm. to get over those things or to be, to be healed from those. Um, I guess maybe, you know, maybe get over is the wrong language, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard. Did I tell you, I don't know if I told you about this, this passage in Mark one that I'm kind of fixated on about with, with the beggar, the leper who comes up to Jesus and says, Mm. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me, make me clean. And that willing that like the question of Jesus willingness is really, you know, stands out to me. So it's, it sounds like it took you a while to kind of, of over and over of healing. Yeah, it was a constant yeah. retelling of my story. And I, I often tell audiences an untold story never heals. I had to mm. let it out into the light of day. I had to let the darkness and the secrets breathe in the light. And every time I told it, it got easier and easier. And every time I told it, a little bit more healing came. And I do believe that there is no such thing as passive healing. You have to chase it. Jesus asked another question of the, the paralytic, do you want to get well? Yeah. And the nice thing about that interaction is the guy never answered. He said, well, I, you know, people aren't around. I can't, you know, be put in the waters when the waters are being stirred. He never said, yes, I want to be well, or no, I don't want to be well. Um, and Jesus was still so gracious and healed him anyway. But I, I love that question because I think that there is a tenacity in healing. You have to want it. You have to pursue it. You have to think that getting over the darkness of your past is more important than the the ease of living in what is normal or natural to you. That was college. So tell us about, um, like, what'd you do with all that? Did you, is that, did you start writing? Is that? I've always been a writer since as I was a little kid. And a lot of times uh, growing up as a teenager, I would have, I would live in, I lived in a difficult home where there was a lot of crazy making going on where one thing was said. And then the next day you'd be like, yeah, you said that. And they would say, no, I didn't say that. So I would write things down 
for my own sanity to go back and go, oh, no, they did say that because I recorded it. (laughs) So there was all that writing. And I didn't really talk about my story publicly or write about it publicly for a very long time. So I was married in my 20s, had three kids. And then um, it was later in my 30s that I began to really just have this compelling need not for my own sake, but for the sake of others to just kind of pioneer a pathway through. I knew that I was not the only sexual abuse victim on the planet. I knew I was not the only girl from a broken home or who'd had a, a, um, a parent die to suicide. I knew that all those things were, you know, common. And I felt because I, I felt like I needed to steward the healing that God had given me to have a so what to my story. And so that's when I started to write it down and um, really telling it out loud and very stark on the page and also with my mouth. (laughs) Frightening, but it was good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, a lot of things in life are like that. Frightening, but (laughs) they're good if you do them. Terrifying, yes. (laughs) So I'm wondering, can you take us into that? Like why? Because you said that so beautifully, an untold story never heals. Like, how does that heal? How does that? Well, I think it, it you know, it kind of gets to the subject of this next book that comes out is about having safe people in your life. I think it can really not heal if you share your story to someone who shames you or shuts you down or says that didn't happen or disbelieves you or pushes against your story. I mean, that can be really damaging. Mm-hmm. I was just lucky and grateful to be able to have people that said, tell me more, what else happened? And we're just mm-hmm. really safe people. And so I, I would add that caveat to an untold story never heals. A, a told story to an unsafe person is not a good thing. So we need to find those, yeah. those folks who will shepherd our stories and will tenderly hold them. Right, right. Okay. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't precur. I, I don't want to say, well, okay, just go tell praying people your story and then you're going to heal. Because I also need to say that I had counseling and uh, there was a lot of other things, you know, involved mm. in that long walk of obedience toward healing. Right, right. So after you discovered Christ, you, you so you said you didn't start writing until you were later, later in. In your thirties, right? 30s, right. Um, yes. So uh, right after mid twenties, I started really becoming serious about my writing. So I was writing during that time, but I wasn't publishing. Mm. So it didn't start to get published until I was in my thirties, and um, then everything just started. Once I started getting published, I was writing three books a year, and uh, that's been my job for the past, you know, twelve or so years. Or 14 years. I don't know, however many years it's been. <laughs> Lots of years of writing and writing books. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty that's that's pretty impressive. So I'd like I don't know. I, I'm I'm gonna embarrass you, is what I'm gonna say. But like, <laughs> I'm so impressed because I think somewhere either you said it or I read it somewhere that you've published 35 books. Yeah. Actually it's 36. I totally forget the number, but you this did. one is the 36. This is 36. Yeah. I mean that's that's not an easy, like for a lot of people publishing one book is impressive, right? It's, it's an overwhelming feat. So how, I want to know about the spiritual formation of that, right? Cause mm-hmm. that is a whole process in, its, in itself. Tell, tell me about that. That's really a good story because during the decade of the nineties, um, 
I was doing all that writing and I was doing what Malcolm Gladwell talks about in Outliers, the 10,000 hours of practice. Mm -hmm. And so I was publishing, I was like not publishing, but I was writing, writing, writing. I was basically honing my craft and, and I would like create, I would create deadlines for myself and meet them early. So I was training myself to be a fast and efficient and good writer who knew her voice so that by the time I started, you know, writing toward publication in the early 2000s and got a mentor and went to conferences and got a literary agent and all that kind of stuff. I had already had a whole body of work that was unpublished but had taught me how to be efficient and good at what I did. And so that enabled me and empowered me to say yes a lot to contracts because I could just say, yeah, I can write another book. Sure, no problem. Um, you just learn to say yes and then you just make it happen. And, and, I learned writing is such a muscle. So just mm. like with um, frustrating getting in shape, you know, when you <laughs> like half do it and half don't, it's you, the muscle, you go back to it and you're sore again. But if I keep up my writing muscle, I become more and more efficient at it and faster and better at it. Yeah, that's true. Okay, tell me about the spiritual side of that. For like, what what do you find in sort of the the discipline of it? How does that affect your soul? Well, I don't think I've been asked that question quite that way. So I really appreciate that question. It's a good one. Uh, Yeah, I will tell you this. Um, God has used every book that I have ever written to heal me in one aspect or another. It has been phenomenal to me to look back. And I think if none of my books ever saw the light of day, if one person bought each one and that was it, it would all be worth it because each book has been a tremendous amount of healing. I believe that God heals us through our artistic expression or the unique way that he has created us as, you know, poema. We are that poem. And so he has created me as an expressor, as a writer, as a communicator. And so I am often healed in that very avenue for which he created me. And so that's been the spiritual formation is every single book, there's been an inkling of amazing healing that's happened to me. I, I can't really describe it other than that. Yeah. Can you give us a specific story about a time you, you wrote something or, or wrote a book that, that made you go, oh, this makes sense and I, I trust God more because of it? Absolutely. So uh, I had not told my story publicly, just kind of that little snippet of what I shared with you at the beginning. Um, not on the page. I had told it as a speaker, but not as a writer. And so I was writing a book called what ended up becoming Building the Christian Family You Never Had. And certainly not one of those books you want to put on your coffee table when your mom comes around. Right. She might be sad, but um, <laughs> what? What do you mean? Uh, but I was writing that book and I felt like as a, I called myself a pioneer parent because I hadn't, I did want to duplicate the home I was raised in. So I was pioneering a new path. But I felt like in order to share, um, in order to talk about wisdom that I gained in parenting, I needed to tell people where I'd come from. And I was terrified to write it down and really freaked out. And I, I had lots of people praying for me and, and um, all sorts of interesting supernatural things happened as I almost pulled away from writing that book. And yet I just kept going and told my editor, he had carte blanche to just say, anytime I was being punitive when I was writing that story, he edited it well. And then finally said, you need to send that chapter to your surviving parent. And 
I was like, we were at that time, we were church planters. We were living in France. Everything was falling apart. I was freaked out. I was like, there's no way I want to go through this because everything else was bad in my life at the time. But I was like, okay. So I sent it to her. And my fear was that she would withdraw her love from me and tell me I was a liar. And, and so I waited, I sent the chapter. I was totally scared, waited weeks. And finally she emailed me back and sure enough, my predictor was correct. She withdrew Mm. her love from me and she told me I was a liar. And it was the most beautiful thing that ever happened to me. It's hard to explain, but it was like that scene in the wizard of Oz where Toto pulls back the curtain And that parent of mine who had stood at, loomed at like 15 feet tall, had now shrunk down to the size of someone pulling levers behind a curtain. And I realized that I could endure the worst thing that I thought could happen, abandonment and, you know, maligning my character like that from a parent. Um, I thought I wouldn't survive that, but I did. I was still standing. And so that was one of those instances where God did some tremendous healing where I was no longer afraid. And that empowered me then to write my memoir, Thin Places, super stark and super open. It just like unlocked me and I was able to just say it all. And that has informed all my writing from that point on. Yeah, that's fantastic. Wow. How interesting that God would use that to to sort of make... Well, to, I'm, so I may be interpreting this, and I don't want to add to anything you said, but to to make himself your father in a way that yeah you needed, right? He, he's your parent yeah. now. Yeah, Interesting. yeah. I realized I I could have nothing on this earth. I could have no relationships. I could have no money. I could have all sorts of things taken away from me, stripped from me. But if I had Jesus, that would be enough. And that's what I that's mm. where I ultimately landed on. Amen. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. You mentioned that you were in France, and I, I had forgotten that. But yeah, you went to France as a as a missionary, which is mm-hmm. very interesting. So how did that come about? Well, uh, my husband went to Dallas Theological Seminary, got his uh, master's in theology in concentration in church planting at the beginning of the 2000s to 2004. And during that time, we went to Paris for an anniversary trip, and we just had a hard time finding churches. And we, you know, reflected on that. I think it's in Acts 14. No, I'm sorry, Romans 14, where Paul says, I want to go where Jesus hasn't yet been named. And uh, people don't really realize this, but Western Europe is one of those places. And we always think of, oh, I'm going to be a missionary to Africa or whatever. There's revivals going on in Africa. There's revivals going on in South America. There's revivals going on in China. There's revivals going on behind what was the Iron Curtain. But Western Europe is is a, a dark place. And so we decided to go into the lion's den of darkness, and we went to the south of France, and we were church planters there for a couple of years with our kids, and uh, it was a hard experience, but also very transformational. Yeah, yeah, that's the, you're you're hitting all my buttons there. I love it. <laughs> we we have friends; they were on the show a little while ago that are trying to go to Ireland uh, because of the same reason, right? They just they just know that these people need Jesus, and uh, and they, there's a lot of lack of hope there, um, but. It's interesting to think about other places in the world, uh, like you mentioned, Africa and, and Asia and South America. There, we're seeing the fruit of missionaries who went there 150 years ago. Right like there, it's actually blooming now. We can see what's what's happening. There's time to go to some other places. So I think that's amazing mm-hmm. that you you thought that and went to France. 
It was an adventure for sure. And our children <laughs> ended up speaking French, which was great. And That's they a have nice a really benefit. great global perspective on the world, which I'm really proud of in them. They're my heroes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. So what, like, besides just that it's a dark place, what else do we need to know about the church in Europe? Well, as Europe goes, so will the United States. So if you watch what the church is doing in Europe, it's it's important to watch it because um, we are next. And I would say it's similar to what we experienced at our conference last week. I wouldn't say that people are not spiritual in Europe. I would say they are actually highly spiritual, but they're pursuing all sorts of kind of esoteric, um, not theologies, but beliefs. And uh, it's actually quite real. Um, And I think that's actually a really nice way to have a good conversation. And that's how the conversations we had went. We were just say, tell me what you believe, or you say you're spiritual, tell me why, what, what is spiritual to you? And it just was opening up really non-judgmental conversations about, well, let me tell you about Jesus and what he's done in my life. And, and, um, so I, I think that's important to know. Uh, I think there's something to be said about kind of an institutionalized dead church. Um, You're seeing a lot of the church die in Western Europe, and I understand it. A lot of it has to do with World War II and all the the massacre and pain and mayhem that went on there, and people are asking the question, if there's a God, why did that happen? And that's something that we as believers have to address with with not just pat answers, but with real answers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's hard to do, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a little scary sometimes to say, oh yeah, well, you know, uh, that's suffering is real, right? Yeah. Yes. The, the, the question of suffering is something that is an important apologetic for Christians today. We need to address it. And I, I just go to my own life. I just exegete my own life and talk about the redemptive power of suffering. Not that I would wish it upon myself and not that I would want to walk through it again. Um, nor would I wish it on others, but because of the fallen world, bad things happen, but because of the goodness of God, he can bring, he can bring beauty out of that. And mm. I think that's, that's a beautiful message to bring. Yeah. And he so often does, uh, which yeah. is, the, is the wonderful thing. So did, have you had any kind of um, times since you became a believer when you felt like God was far away or like a, we kept throwing this at the con- this word around at the conference last week, "dark night of the soul," which I thought was very interesting. I kept going, "That's yeah, not- using Saint John of the Cross." I know. I was like, I was like "Oh, that's, conference. that's <laughs> fascinating." All right, but anyway, but but that is a real thing. So, is that you know, have you had anything like that, or was that you know, has always been daisies and roses? Oh, yes. It's just been daisies and roses. Uh, I would say part of that came as part of my sexual abuse story. So a lot of the dark night of the soul came in being married for the first only time. I've only been married once. Um, But uh, it was really hard for me to understand how sex was beautiful when I was a, a victim of assault. And that took like over a decade to work through. And I thought I was never going to get better. And I thought, why would God do this to me? And then um, when my children reached the ages I was when I was assaulted, I went through another very dark time of just wondering, okay, can I protect my kids? Like this panicky, freaked out feeling like if this happened to me, it could happen to them. 
And, you know, that was a really hard thing to walk through and yeah. had definitely had to go into some counseling about that because I was just so angry and dark. It was all dark and hard. Um, thankful I made it through. But I would say to any of the listeners out there who are dealing with something traumatic like sexual abuse, you will you will heal in waves and layers. And one of the things that I found was that I had kind of like washed my hands of it after college. I had had all those people pray for me and I made kind of this like declaration and I was like, well, henceforth I am completely healed and I will never, I'm going to shut this in a little box and I'm never going to have to revisit it again. And, uh, that doesn't work very well. Yeah. It's all a process. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Well that, that's interesting. And that totally makes sense given your, your life experiences. I'm always interested in how that actually plays out because the, I mean, like you said, you have to go through those uh, those dark periods, and I think you we find Christ more present through them. Um, but I find people who have had kind of harder experiences before they come to Christ don't go through it in the same way necessarily. It's in, mm, which, which is interesting. interesting. Uh, so I was curious about about that for you. There's a lot that we could talk about. I know, but I want to talk about your book. So uh, <laughs> we we've got that. That's the worst segue ever, but it's what I got. So. <laughs> Dark Knight of Soul, Deadly Friendship. Yeah, they're well, <laughs> they're connected, aren't they? They might be. <laughs> this is an interesting, and I, I love the art on it, guys. You'll have to check it out. It's it's a bunch of popsicles that are slowly, you can see, you know it, but slowly d- being eaten away. I think that's brilliant and genius. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book and kind of what, what why you decided to write it. Well, I think um, like every human in the world, uh, I have been really broken by relationships. And I was finding myself unconsciously pursuing bad relationships for, for me. And I think part of that went back to knowing that I was raised by someone who is predatory and someone who is narcissistic. And there was something broken inside of me that was constantly pursuing narcissistic predators or predatory narcissists, however you want to say that, because I had this incomplete story. And I felt like if I could just, even though this was unconscious, I think in my soul, I was thinking if I could just get a predatory narcissist or a narcissistic predator to love me, I can prove that I'm finally lovable to my parents. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Wow. (laughs) I get that. So I kept, you know, pursuing, um, these relationships and often we're just female friendships. This is not just like people of the opposite sex. This was just female friendships that were not good for me and would end in total disaster. And I finally had to realize I need to complete that story with Jesus so that I didn't have to keep trying to complete it with someone who is not going to be safe for me. So as I prayed about it and everything, I I went to Proverbs 6, which talks about the seven deadly sins, and they were so perfectly aligned with these seven deadly friendships that I was thinking about that I just smushed them together. And so I created these uh, kind of a a framework for people to look at these types of friendships that can hurt you. And this could be a relationship. It could be your family. It doesn't, it could be your business relationship. It doesn't have to be a friendship, but, um, I couched it that way. So that was kind of the very long yeah, <laughs> explanation yeah. of the why behind that book. Sorry. I went a little long winded on that one. No, that's, that's all good. I like I'm it. I'm a podcaster. I talk. I know. That's <laughs> okay. what we do. It, it's all good for me. 
Um, this is gonna be a five-hour interview. <laughs> well, all right, that'll be great. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I love. It. What are some of the things that? Because um, I just, Mary. So when you talked about like honing your craft, I just I can see that all over this book. Like I just, you know, I'm a reader of books. I I was reading one recently, and I was just like. It's it's a fine. The message is great. It's amazing. But they say the same thing over and over again. And right. I, I couldn't. I was like, Ugh. you know, I could skim it. But this, like, you you talk about the deadly friendships and then kind of how to heal. So you bring you bring back some kind of some um, you know good some good practices to kind of get over that. And I just, it just it's a tight. It seems like a tight book, and I I really appreciate that. Thank you. And, and I think part of the important part of this book is that I'm not coming across as the, I hope I'm not coming across as the hero of this book. Like everybody out there is the deadly friendships and I'm the perfect friend. I uh, definitely say, you know, I struggle with being dramatic or I struggle with being narcissistic. And this is when I failed in a friendship. So Mm -hmm. it also helps you introspect in your own relationships to find out, okay, what have I done to contribute to the demise of a friendship? And like you said, yes, let's look at the life of, at the very end, I look at the life of Jesus and Joseph because they encountered all seven deadly friendships, which is super yeah. fascinating to me to think about. Yeah. What a great use of scripture too, to just look at those people and say, this is how we can learn from from those stories. What would your advice be for people who find themselves in relationship with one of these one of these character types. Yeah, there's a varying degree of how we should respond because there's some, like you might have a dramatic friend and you just kind of learn to cope with it and you don't participate in the drama. But I wouldn't say, oh, you need to run a hundred miles away from them. But I would say with some of the more severe ones, like a con man or a predator that it's important to separate yourself from them. And uh, I don't give like hard and fast advice of this is when you do and this is when you don't. But um, I have learned in my own life that when you are entangled with a con man or you're entangled with a predator or a narcissist, you uh, it can overtake your entire life and it can derail you. And so I do have a conversation in the book about who are safe people. What does a safe person look like? Sometimes our friend picker is not good. <laughs> and so we need to learn how to pick people, um, you know, that are, that are great. And one of the things that's simple about the book is I have a list of traits of every one of those seven deadly friendships. So you can just go through, it's very simple and say, oh my gosh, <laughs> that person is this. And now I know, I hope that it's an aha book for people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you use the quote in there that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with? I don't, but I should have. And now I need to go back and edit. (laughs) No, you don't. don't. (laughs) That is so true, isn't it? It is. That's a Jim Rohn quote. And it's like entrepreneurs love to love to throw that one out there. But uh, I mean, that's true, right? It's you, you are. And so, you know, going back to Jesus, like if you make Jesus one of the five people that you spend the most time with, he you become more like him. That's why you pray every day, Doc right. Show. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, I will just punctuate that by saying, friends, you have to go subscribe to this show. You will love it. You, you will. Thank you. You're the best. Here's the thing. With Christian podcasts, some of them are good and some of them are not good. And some of them are innovative. And I think what you're doing is innovative. I, I like it. So thank you. That's a great word. Yeah. I hope it's encouraging at least I, mm-hmm. and not, 
not too over the top, but yeah. um, man, I love that. So, Mary, I mean, we've we've covered a lot of ground. Like, I don't know what else to to really ask you. Like, where where do you see yourself going? You know, like in in the next kind of season of your life. I think you're you're definitely. I see you on this path of um, you're you're healing, and you're, you've got this kind of really intimate relationship with Jesus, and it just kind of exudes out of you. You know, I love one of the in in our book it the dis- way it described you was like her ju- her joy now would be kind of surprising to you you probably wrote mm. that but but uh it was i i read that and i went that's absolutely true in the way that that i've experienced you in the last week or so where are you going like where where do you think all this is is headed for you i think my hunch is that um i have been advocating for sexual abuse survivors for way long before Me Too and Church Too and all of that. Um, So my hunch is that I've been getting bigger and bigger platforms to speak Mm. light and truth to the church about this issue. And so my my hope and my, my hunch is that I will be doing more of that advocacy because I love the church, not because I'm angry at the church. Um, I want the church to do a better job of shepherding and loving survivors and victims. I think we have a problem of people leaving the back doors of churches. There's no one standing up in front of the church saying, I was molested. I was raped. I was date raped. I was in a domestic violence situation with my marriage and my pastor said to stay in. And I mean, we need to have these raw stories. So people don't feel like church is this place of unreality where nobody has problems and everyone looks awesome. So I think I'm going to be a part of that. And I hope that's my hope at least. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that is so true and it's so timely, right? I think the, there's a season right now of, of those kinds of things coming, coming out to light. And it honestly, it's scary, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, those kind Mm -hmm. of stories, it's, it's so hard to to even listen to and to to kind of try to know what to do with, right? Um, right. But it's so important, and I think if we believe the gospel at all, we have to we have to believe that the gospel applies in those kinds of situations. Yes, and all I do is think about Jesus, and I think about mm. the story of the Good Samaritan, and I think. What is it about the fact that religious leaders walk on by (laughs) and that in that narrative, there is never someone who goes to the victim, grabs the victim, blames the victim for being robbed, and then walks away. So Jesus didn't even include that part of the story, but that is what is happening to victims of abuse. They're being grabbed by religious leaders and saying, shut up. They're saying, don't say anything. And I don't believe you. And, you know, just all sorts of like shaming and, and, you know, kicking them when they're down, like they're re-abusing, they're re-robbing. And Jesus didn't even put that in the narrative. So we're worse than the priests walking by on the other side of the road. Wow. That's terribly convicting. (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh, hard to be the recipient of it too. It it is. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I think, yeah, we've got, we've got to do better at, I just, we have to think about it in terms of the gospel and what, what does that yes. mean, you know, and the kingdom that God is bringing and uh, what that, how that becomes present to us here and the way that, the ways that he can bring us not only grace, but healing. I think the weak folks in our midst and the victims in our midst are our tutors 
And they are the ones that teach us about the kingdom, the upside down kingdom. And we have, mm-hmm. we have expelled the tutors from our midst. And I think that is wow. very sad. Mary, I, I love every conversation that I get a chance to have with you. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Uh, there are people that I want to introduce you to. And so we'll have to talk about that as well. I love that. But um, I think, man, I think I, here's what I want to say, friends. Go get the seven deadly friendships for sure. And then it was Jesus Every Day is the book, right? And Pray Every Day mm-hmm, is the podcast. Mm-hmm. Get those two things. Um, definitely recommend it. And I hope that you will. Mary, anything you want to leave us with? You know, I just, when I think of anything I want to leave anyone with, it's always has to be Jesus because he's, you know, always the Sunday school answer, but he really is the answer to to everything. (laughs) And um, I mean, I'll, I try not to get emotional about it, but I mean, I, I wouldn't be where I am right now without him. It's okay to be emotional about it. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I love him so much. <laughs> I, and that, it shows so much. So thanks a lot for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. 